I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners. Hello, humans. I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners. Uh, I'm here to talk with sales and HR experts, other business owners, and anyone else who can provide us with information to clear our way to success. My guest today is Todd King, Director of Business Development at JT King Investments, founder of Power Team Advisors, and executive coach and managing partner at Fortune Practice Management. Todd graduated from West Virginia University in 2006 with a bachelor's in public relations. Todd purchased his first business at 21, which helped him pay for the remainder of his time at WVU. Out of school, he opened JT King Investments and began working in sales. In 2014, he and a partner founded Schmidt's Saloon Music Hall where he negotiated, booked, and executed concerts with artists including Chris Stapleton and Uncle Cracker. In 2020, Todd opened Power Team Advisors and began working with Fortune Practice Management. Todd has been helping business owners spanning several industries for over a decade. Todd, thanks for being a guest on Clearing the Way. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Bradley. I appreciate it. This is such a great thing you're doing here. Thanks. Uh, so let's, uh, let's get into it. Let's um, start as a... Um, as a student, um, and, and kind of see, see how you got to this point. So, uh, in, in school, uh, even back in, you know, high school, grade school, what kind of a, what kind of a student were you? I was never like the top of the class student, but I was always a pretty good student. Um, I, I didn't take school as seriously as, as we all probably should have looking back on that. Um, but I was always into extracurriculars. I played basketball. I played football. I played baseball. I I love the competitiveness of sports. I love the teamness that sports provided. Um, but I was always also into collecting things. Okay. What, uh, what kind of thing? Like what, what did you collect? One of the things that I, really, I collected was Hot Wheels, but then I really got into like the NASCAR Hot Wheels. I remember the ones that I don't know okay. if you've ever seen those. They actually had NASCAR drivers. and Okay. I don't actually, remember those. I was a big Hot Wheel kid, but, okay. but I, I don't remember the NASCAR ones. Yeah, they actually had like the real drivers and they had their numbers and everything on it. And it was, it was pretty cool. And um, that actually kind of led to some of my business, but I actually started collecting those and ended up, that's right when eBay was coming out. I'm a little bit older than you, Bradley. But then, so I ended up started selling those on eBay. Um, So that's kind of how I started doing. When, uh, at what age do you think you started selling those? I was probably like 12, 14 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, we're (laughs) we're away today. Huh. Okay, so you start doing that. Was there was that just something natural to you? Did you have um, any influences? That like, did anybody kind of guide you through that, or no, not really. My I grew up in a small town in West Virginia called Peyton City. Um, okay, and where's that? It's um, Wetzel County. It's on the higher River. It's between Parkersburg and Wheeling, West Virginia. Okay, if you have okay. any idea where that is, yeah. right on the Ohio River, and. My town, I actually grew up, I had 26 in my graduating class. <laughs> okay. It was okay. small. It okay. was small. My parents are, my parents are awesome, but this, they have that West Virginia mindset, they um, work hard, save all your money, retire, non-entrepreneurs. My dad is an electrician. My mom worked at the same job um, most of her whole life. She's worked her way up and they never like my entrepreneurial spirits. My brother is, is the opposite of me. Um, okay. So, yeah. Were they like openly kind of were they against it or just like not super supportive or was it more of like a worried thing like it was more of a worried this is really risky dude it was definitely more of a worried thing okay it absolutely was okay and then they weren't really against it until we can get into this in a little bit but um until i started buying my first restaurant bar um that's really when they got when they were against it okay 
Um, and that was later while you were in, that was uh, when, I, when, while you were at WVU. Yeah, that was correct. Okay. That was when I was down at West Virginia University. Okay. Um, okay. So sports, when you, uh, through high school, um, you started selling things relatively early in high school. Did you have any, um, so if you started selling things, selling on eBay that early, was there anything else through high school that you were doing? Like, it seems like that would have been if you were starting that early, like, first of all, did you have success during doing that? Um, and then how did that evolve? Like through high school did that? I did. I had some success with that. Then I ended up getting into, um, I really started loving four wheelers, ATVs. And, um, I got a, a magazine that had that I bought somewhere. I don't know if it was a yard. It's not even where I got the magazine, but it had a four wheeler on the front of it. And I didn't know the name of the magazine, but I ended up selling it and making a couple hundred bucks on this magazine. I paid a dollar for Again, this was on eBay. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And I think that was one of the first things. Then I started selling CDs and doing a bunch of things, but I kind of, my parents still kind of joke to this day as like, I've always been able to take something and, and get the most out of it. So we went from CDs and magazines, cars to then I got into four wheelers and then I got into vehicles. So okay. they always joke. I started with a Hot Wheels, then it went to a magazine, then it went to a four wheeler, then it went to a Jeep Wrangler. All before I was like eighteen, like I, I worked my way up through yeah. that. So huh. okay, so you went, you end up going to uh, West Virginia, um, and did you know what you wanted to do from there? I had no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> okay. I really had no idea. And I ended up picking journalism. I thought it would be easy. Public relations is at the Pearly Reed Isaac School of Journalism down WVU. I didn't even really know what it was. Um, I still use public <laughs> relations to a degree in my businesses. Yeah. I mean, there's, but I still never knew what I was going to do. And then, um, but one thing I did realize when I was about a junior, I realized, wow, I, if I get this degree in public relations, you know, I'm, going to be working in a corporate type job i'm probably going to make limited income mm -hmm. you know 30 35 40,000 a year most i was like that's not really what i want to do that's not going to serve the purpose that i want to live yeah i didn't know what my purpose was then i had no idea yeah so i realized that's when i wanted to start buying a business and how how early was that what how this was like first year this or? is about second third year of college okay okay so first probably, second year yeah i was okay. partying too much to think about anything else okay. <laughs> i mean that makes sense <laughs> um okay so at that point you realize so you did two years up to that point of two or three years of just kind of going through before you realize that um okay so then you make that realization, and then that's, I'm assuming, right around the time you say, hey, I'm going to buy, you said, what is it, a bar or restaurant? Or yeah, it was. It was called, it's still in Morgantown today. Um, it's called the Sports Page. And maybe some of our listeners, it's, we're not very far from Morgantown, but it's still there today. It's right on High Street, the main street. It has a big uh, baseball cap, and it's a sports bar, restaurant. You go underneath the basement, and um, I was looking at buying it, and um, I knew I was talking with the owner and he didn't take me seriously at first. Then it was you, a, were yeah. you were a college kid. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then I was able to get some money together and he did some creative financing. That was my first introduction to creative financing. And a lot of entrepreneurs use it today, real estate investors. I still teach on creative financing uh -huh. today. And that was my first introduction to that. And so I'll, uh, 
I'll kind of dive into that a little bit then. When you say creative financing, what are you referring to? So creative financing is maybe, is when you don't use the traditional bank. You're not just going to get an SBA type of loan. Okay. Creative financing is when you're working with an owner of a piece of real estate or owner of a business and getting them to hold the paper for the business. Okay. So they can do it a couple different ways. It's basically, it's a way without having to go to the bank to do it. Okay. Um, so you were able to work with, I'm assuming when you're doing that, that takes, um, that's going to take more of a relationship or more trust with that, that owner. Is that, is that not necessarily true or? It, it is. You definitely okay. have to build the relationship with that. Um, the owner of that actually owned another business that up, it was called upstairs. Um, it was called big times. So he was going to be closed the whole time. He okay. knew that he was going to be able to keep an eye on it. Okay. And worst case scenario on his part is if the business failed because I ran into the ground, he would be able to take the business back. Okay. So that's kind of how he looked at it. He was getting a nice little down payment of money that I was able to go and and raise the money. I didn't have the money. I was able to go and raise the money. And how did you how did you go about that? That's <laughs> just family, friends, um, college kids, that other people I knew. Okay. And I was able to get a um, a small loan from from a say it's a family member, not quite a family member, but I was able to get a small loan. Okay. Uh, to come up with that portion of it. Okay. Um, all right. So you start that. How did that go? That went too good. Okay. It went too good because okay. I thought business was going to be easy. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I really, it was, I mean, it was a, easy as a college town. Was it, when you took it or when you purchased it, was it already doing well or? It was doing okay. Okay. It was doing pretty good. Why was he, was he looking to sell or did you just kind of like the place and were like, hey, I kind of want to do something here? I heard he was looking to sell. He okay. owned several different businesses in Morgantown. Um, he owned probably three or four that I can remember at that time. And I started talking with him about it, you know, opportunity. And I was like, I'm going to do this. So then I said I was going to do this, but I didn't just go and propose to him. I actually created a business plan, was looking okay. at research and spent a lot of time at the library. It's not like we had the laptops, you know, we're talking 18, 19 years ago. Didn't have the laptops and stuff like we have yeah. now. So we were, I was in the library. Well, so even that whole part, like that's a, the fact that you were doing that at 21, did you did you seek any guidance for that? Or was it just kind of like, oh, I feel like this is, if I'm going to take this over, I need to have a good plan in place. Like, how did you come to that conclusion? I wish I would have seek more guidance. <laughs> I'm very, very, very blessed that that, that didn't happen. Um, there was the manager that was at the place at the time. He helped me a lot through the process. Actually, he ended up becoming my business partner. Okay. Um, so that helped. He had some of the more experience there. Okay. I mean, I knew some, some restaurant um business a little bit. I mean, I'd go to Ocean City my freshman and sophomore year during the summers, and I would get down and bartend Ocean City, Maryland during the summer. And so that was okay. kind of what made me want to get into the bar business and restaurant business. Okay. And I was like, hey, it's a, it's a college town. I knew if you've know, been to Morgantown, you know, there's 25,000 kids yeah. there. And I was like, there's, you know, for the price and everything, I knew it was going to be, it was going to be a good huh. investment. My parents didn't think it was going to be, but I thought it was going to so be. So how was that if you don't mind getting into that a little bit, because that seems like, I mean, I'm sure people, um, I'm sure people that are younger deal with that same thing, especially if you're not from a family who um, is generally like risk taking. As a, I'm not a parent, yeah. so I have no idea. But I assume <laughs> if you're looking at your child and child, adult, kid, whatever you want to say, and they're doing something that is completely outside of what you consider the norm, like. Did that affect that relationship at all? Was it a, were they very against it until you were 
you know, hey, I'm doing this and then support it? Like, how did that, how, and if you don't want to get into that, I, that's no, fine too. No, that's but. absolutely fine. They were, um, I think they were against it for a while. Then they saw how much effort and work I put into it. Um, okay. I remember it being 21. I went and bought this briefcase. I thought this was, I was like, I don't want to be a businessman. I went and bought this like, hard <laughs> this briefcase. What, this is what business And I carry like a business plan into this. I went to my meetings, had this really like square, not even like a laptop case, like a square <laughs> briefcase. And like, this is what, this is what business is supposed to be about. And, you know, I had my projections of what I was going to do and redesigning the menu and had all this stuff in there. And so I acted the part, okay. um, kind of like you fake it till you make it uh-huh. type deal. And, um, and luckily, you know, it was had a great partner and, and obviously the location, the timing of the business, everything worked out really, really good. Huh. Okay. So, okay. That's, that's good. So when did you get out of that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was in it for about four and a half, five years. Um, by then I graduated college and, um, I was like, I really want to do something else. Um, I want to, you know, own other businesses. So I went to a, an investment class up in, in Station Square. And when I went to this investment class, I was hearing this speaker talk about real estate investing and business. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. I really want to do that. I want to be, I don't want to just do the real estate investing business. I want to be a coach. I want to be a speaker like the guy that was up there. Mm-hmm. And so what I did, I started researching the company. And the company, um, now it goes by, it's um, Rich Dad Education. Um, have you ever read the book? It's a financial bestseller. It's called recommended several times. Yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad, uh-huh. and um, he partnered with a guy named Russ Whitney, and they had their offices were actually in Cape Coral, Florida, Fort Myers, Florida. So um, I saw that I researched in the company. I saw that they had um, coach position open, and I'm still at this time twenty, let's just say twenty six, and so I fly to Fort Myers, Cape Coral, and. I said, I'm going to get this job because I knew that because I wanted to travel a lot too. Uh-huh. And I knew that the, you had to travel for this position. Like they came to Pittsburgh, they came to other areas. Um, I saw their schedule and everything. It's like, this would be awesome. You know, 26, I'll be able to travel yeah. everywhere. I'll be able sounds to, fantastic. It sounds fantastic. So I went down there to the offices, the corporate offices, applied, didn't hear anything. I stayed down there. And then um, I finally got an interview. So I flew back down, I don't know, a couple weeks later, got an interview and never heard anything. I went back the next day. And then they're like, no. I went back the next day. They're like, I was told it's too young. I'm too young. That's something I've always heard my whole life. I'm too yeah. young, too young, too young to be a coach. How yeah. can you be a coach if you don't, if you've never lived anything really, even though I had to one business under my belt. Yeah. So then I did not leave. I went every single day and finally <laughs> took flowers to the lady at the front to let me get back to the other lady that interviewed me and took her flowers as well. And they ended, said, anybody that's persistent, I think we can train them. So I ended up started working for, for that organization. It was about 2006. Okay. I was their youngest employee at the time. Wow. So you, that's, that's wild. So how long, how long were you down there? How many, how many times do you think you went? So went, uh, I was down there back three, three the times and I moved into moving there until I probably lived in that area for, cause they, they liked us. So you didn't have to live there, but they liked us to be there. And I wanted to learn everything I could. And I, and I wasn't stuck to, didn't have kids at the time. I wasn't stuck to back yeah. here. And, um, so yeah, I went, I went just down there and, um, lived in Florida for uh, probably like nine years, 10 years. And, um, until I was about 35. So what, I mean, when you were being that persistent, like how many, 
How many different times do you think you went into the office? And at any point did you think like, okay, maybe there's a different job that I can tr- try to do the same thing or like, was that the only, there was no option. You there was no options. Okay. That was, there was no options. That's what I wanted to do. Cause there wasn't a whole lot of companies now kind of the buzzword and in, in is coaching. Uh, like everybody uh, is that's, coaching. That's something I want to get to at some point. Yeah, but. Yeah, that's the biggest buzzword. Yeah. But back then there wasn't coaching. Yeah. yeah. The original coach was um, Jim Rohn. And then there was Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. If you really know anything about coaching, but even 18, 15 years ago, it wasn't such a big keyword like today. Yeah. So when you so you got that job and what were you what were you doing there? So we would travel around um, and we would go to different areas and we started doing the real estate, real estate investors. So this was 2007, 2008. Um, I don't know if you know the market too much, but the market was getting ready to crash. I was in high school at that point, but yeah. uh, it was the market was getting ready to crash and so we were, I was traveling around, the business got pretty slow for them, but I was still doing it. I was still going and traveling, teaching people. You know, I learned the presentations. I was working with some awesome people. I started investing in 2007 real estate because that's what we were coaching mm-hmm. and um, started investing. 2008 happened. I started learning a whole different side of real estate called short sales. So I was actually started my second business in actually was in real estate then okay. during this time. So I was coaching, but then I was also doing a lot of real estate investing at that time. Okay. Um, hmm. okay. So from there, um, what point does that take us to? Where are we at in the timeline here? Um, up to, I guess maybe the music hall is that, when did that come? Yeah. So, so we had our first child, um, her name's Devin. I have three kids now, 12, nine or 12, 10 and almost eight. And my 12 year old, when she was born, I realized she would live in Florida. She was born in Florida. It's like, I don't, my parents mean so much to me, even though they didn't support that business. My, I have such a big, yeah. good relation with my parents. I was like, I want them to be part of my kid's life. Yeah. So we moved back home. We moved, when I say back home, back this way. Yeah. Um, they live in New Martinsville, West Virginia still. Okay. And so that's kind of why I moved back home. Um, they were allowing me to travel on the road at that point. And so still I was traveling on the road. And, and I, now my parents were able to you know, to see my, see my youngest daughter grow up. And that's when the saloon, Schmidt Saloon, a music hall, was kind of an idea. It was a, an old, it's called Rhythm and Brews. It was another old bar that was really run down. And we were able to transform it into what we call, what was called Schmidt Saloon. And this was in 2012, 12-ish, okay. is when um, the Schmidt Saloon started. And, and it was really, it's such a cool project. I was so passionate about the project. And what we did was we had a hired a contractor to tear down a couple old barns. Okay. And they tore down a couple of barns and took all the barn wood and put it in this old, really bad bar. And we made it so you walked in, it was really like an old time saloon. That's cool. It's a, That's really, cool. really cool. We built a stage. We had tons of different musical acts. So how did you decide that you were going to do that? Because it seems like like up to this point... You're kind of, you've, you've started businesses in, I mean, several different spaces. Like, how did you, how did you decide a music hall was, was the next thing? Well, it was a bar and I knew, I saw the bar was for sale. Again, this was in Morgantown as well. Yeah. It was not in the college, prime college area, but it was in the Cheat Lake area of Morgantown. Okay. And, um, 
you know, I saw that it was for sale. I, again, I came up with the idea, this idea. I was like, music, they need a music hall in Morgantown. There's no place really listen to music. There's a place called 123 Pleasant, which is still there, and they do it awesome, but it was a different type of music. Okay. And I wanted to be able to provide really like a country music venue is kind of what I was thinking at first, and, and that's really what it was. Mm-hmm. But we had everybody from Fuel to Everclear to Mushroom Head. I don't know if you know any of these like hard rock bands. I've heard of a few of them. but Sebastian Bach and like Great White like old school rock bands. Huh. Uh, the, we had a guy named John Corby, who was one of the lead singers for um, uh, Motley Crue for a while when huh. Vince Neil stepped out. So like there was some really cool, some really cool stuff um, that happened there and the relationships we had. But how, and the reason we named it this way, and again, this goes back to my persistency, is I was like, so if we're going to do a music venue, if I'm going to buy this business and renovate this, what do I need to do? And so then there was somebody I knew from school. His name is Owen Schmidt. Um, he played. Okay. He played football. I remember him. Okay, so he played football when I was in college, yeah. way back before, and then he played football at, for the Oakland Raiders. And he in 2012 he was That's actually playing for the Oakland Raiders. He was such a beast. My brother, oh, my brother played at West Virginia. He graduated, I think, in 2003. Okay, um, same time. So it's I mean a little yeah. bit, a little bit before. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I remember uh, he was, that was around the, like, Pat White era. Pat White, um, Steve Slayton, yeah, and, yeah, and Owen Schmidt. Ridiculous era of West Virginia football, but um, that's funny. Okay, so you guys, so that was the person you started that way. It was, and then, um, so I was actually in traveling for the um, Rich Dead organization, traveling and doing my real estate, and I was actually in San Francisco. And I started thinking about who could I partner with or who to make this like the place. And I was like, everybody, if you know anything about West Virginia, people love the bone. They, uh, they called him like the beer truck. And there's all these yeah. videos and everything on him. So I, um, I finally talked to it's a bunch a of people. fantastic choice of, yeah, of a person. It was. And, um, he, and he, he's a great, great person. Even to this day, you know, we're still friends. Unbelievable person. He, um, I finally got his number. And I'm in San Francisco, and I keep calling him. I'm like, Owen, I'm in your area. Can I please come meet with you? So, and he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and he goes, let me call my agency. And, and he finally said, okay, come over. So, I went to his town home. It was in Oakland. And, uh, and I first proposed the deal to him. I was like, here's what I want to do. And you guys didn't know each other at this point. Not really. We had a few meetings and okay, stuff, okay. but we didn't really know each other. Okay. And okay. then he's like, man, you're, you're crazy. He's like, I'm playing football. I was like, listen, <laughs> I'm putting all the risk, all the money inside of this. I don't you know, necessarily need you to do this. And then he ended up investing money and, and stuff as well, and we ended up becoming actual partners. But that wasn't my idea originally. But I had the business plan again. The business so the idea originally, what was what was the idea originally? So what did you actually go to him for? I went to him for his name. Okay. I wanted okay. it to be, I wanted to use the name Schmitz and I wanted his face, his image. Mm-hmm. I mean, who am I? I could call it Todd Saloon. Nobody yeah. cares about that. Yeah. And that's not really West Virginia. We use these old barns in West Virginia that we knew we were going to use. And I needed something that, that was, that really resonated with all the people uh-huh. of West Virginia. And and Owen was the perfect person to do that. Did you go through a list of people before that or okay. He was you the first like person. Kind of, I mean you like you said, he he was a he was like a staple at that time. Um, and he was and one of the reasons too that I, I did knew that he was gonna be perfect 
um, the perfect partner is because he would come back during the summers and people would always like, you know, wherever and when he wasn't playing football and he would play with a band called the Davison Brothers. Okay. They're out of um, a music band. They're out of um, Clarksburg, West Virginia. And he would play with them. So I knew that he played guitar. I knew that he liked music. I knew he was all about West Virginia. <laughs> I knew that he would love the fact that we were using West Virginia Barnwood. We were everything in it was West Virginia and we were going to be playing music. And we we're going to have a menu based on West Virginia foods. Um, we had a menu of, like, my idea was we did a lot of pepperoni rolls. I don't know if you okay. know what pepperoni rolls of are. Course, yeah. Anybody of listening course. here that knows what pepperoni if rolls are? you don't are, know what they are, you're missing out big time. You are. You'd be surprised traveling. Um, Most people have no idea what pepperoni rolls that's, are. That's such a wild thing when I go places that are like, it's like, how do you not? This is such a simple concept. Like, yeah. And they're so delicious. Um, okay, so that, how, how did that go? How long were you involved with that? So that was about 2012. We, I think we opened in around 2013. And then I was involved for about four and a half years. Um, I actually went through a kind of a tough time. Um, we had our, our third child and um, went through a tough time with the divorce after my, my wife at the time had postpartum and she had some issues. And um, I was actually going to get custody of the kids, which I have full custody of all three of my kids right now. I, I got it pretty relatively after that. But one of the things was like, you need to get out of the bar business. Yeah. You don't need to have alcohol license in your name and everything. So I'm um, kind of through that process. You know, it was, it was kind of a downtime um, for me personally. And just going through thinking about everything with my kids have been mm -hmm. through. And then, so that's when I, got, I sold my part of the business to Owen. Okay. Um, so he kept it going for a little bit after that. He brought his mom into partner and then... Um, yeah, he ended up retiring from football, and then he ran it for a while, and then he ended up selling the business to a place called Smoking Jacks. When So he wasn't, at the beginning, I know you mentioned that he, he wasn't really going to be involved at the beginning. Did he end up being involved throughout the time, or like did he come on board later? Other Like, obviously, no. he agreed to at least use the name, but... Um, because if so, when when he decided to come on board, how was... Was there any weird transition of power or like um yeah did you was there any any weirdness there or, or was that a pretty smooth transition or how it was pretty work? smooth because he was finishing up um he was finishing up his nfl career he didn't get signed the next year okay um so i don't know if this was 12 or 13 i'm sure we could easily look it up google would tell us exactly when his last year yeah. was um but he didn't get re-signed and he's like, well, you know what? He goes, I want to be part of the business. And then that's when he became a okay. full partner. So right around when. So we all invested anyways. money. We okay. were all together on this. And, okay. and he was, and he was the face. And when yeah. he was there, business was better. And he was, and having his name too, he's playing for the NFL, helped me. I had no idea. I, I knew how to sell things, but I had no idea how to get music acts to come to West Virginia, to okay. Morgantown. I mean, if you think about some of the names that, that I've had, that we had, like Ronnie Dunn from Brooks and Dunn, um, Luke Holmes, who's one of the top country singers now. He wasn't that popular back then. Chris yeah. Stapleton. And some of these guys that came, what we would do is we would look at schedules. And we would, if you look at a map, if you see Nashville and you see a New York City or you see Washington, D.C., yeah. look what's exactly halfway is Morgantown, West Virginia. Huh. So all these artists that are coming from Nashville to go to their north or northeastern shows, yeah. they stop there anyway around this area. So we would work out these deals. They were called routing deals. 
hey, we pay, we'll pay you all the ticket, give you all the proceeds from the tickets. We keep the alcohol sales. We'll pay for your hotel and everything. Huh. And that's how strategically I, I just learned, started getting connected. And obviously having Owen's name and having everything else helped us progress into. How did you come to the conclusion to, like, how did you, I'm assuming you weren't the first to do that. Um, so did you, did you discover that through like outside research or was it you just saying like, huh, well, we need to get some people here. Let me, let me do exactly what you just described. Like, how did you come to that conclusion? So Owen hooked me up with the Davison brothers and Davison brothers were signed by a company called uh, William Morris agency, okay. a WME. It's a huge, um, they do everything from actors to yeah. musicians. There's another one called C, C, CAA, yeah. several different one of these companies. And they were actually signed, and I think they still are, by William Morris. And they and they were like taught, you need to put me in contact with their rep. And huh. it was just, and that was just, we worked this out and it just ended up being huh. being great. You know, you were, you were voted the best bar in West Virginia for two or three years in a row. That's cool. And um, so it was great when I was being there. But, you know, one thing about being in the bar business, you have to be there. Yeah. And when, when I started going through some of the personal stuff and um, not the best time to be at a bar, overnight. not the best time to be at a bar every night. Yeah. And at the same time, I give so much respect to Owen because I was running a lot of the, the stuff. My mom's actually, I, I mentioned she worked at her same job. She was a banker. She's actually now CFO of a bank called Union Bank. It's in West Virginia, but she started her way up as a teller. And <laughs> she's probably, most, she's the person that I look up to more than anybody, even though she's, she's never said, Hey, don't do this, but She's very conservative, um, but I look up to her more than anything because she had me young and she was able to go back to school, work her way up from a teller at the bank hmm. all the way to today. She's CFO of the bank. That's cool. So it's really cool. And um, But she she actually helped end up helping, which is kind of going back to my parents. She ended up helping me she, and they was doing the bookkeeping. She did all the bookkeeping and oh, actually wow. helped us with payroll. And so it was really cool. So yeah, it actually cool. ended up being kind of a family business. My dad would come and he would do... I mean, he would drink a couple of beers, of course, but he yeah. would come up. So he did so much work as well. He's did so much electrical work in that building and did so much help. And um, so we had some really, really, really good times. Um, we used my parent, my mom's, some of her recipes, her pepperoni roll recipe was okay. used. And that's cool. So, so yeah, it was, it was probably one of the most fun times and most enjoyable times to an extent. But also I think that there was, the fact that I was traveling so much still while I was doing that because I was making a lot of money coaching and it was something I was loved traveling, but I was also leaving my wife at the time here with the kids. I was traveling. Yeah, we tough. had a bar and a business yeah, and, then, a lot going on. and then <laughs> she developed postpartum and she started drinking a lot. So anyways, that's when everything just kind of got, yeah, got caught. Huh? Um, okay. So, through that whole time you were coaching, did you know while you were doing that, that like, that's where you want to end up being? Like, I want to get back into that. Cause it seems like that was what you were initially, I mean, the most passionate about. Um, so through that time, uh, owning the music, uh, the music hall, um, you were still coaching, like you just yeah. said, did you know that you were going to get out of that at some point to get it back like full-time into coaching? Like what was your, did you have a plan for that? Did you know what you wanted to continue doing or um, yeah, what were you? I knew that I would always be coaching some and somehow in some regard always. Okay. I always um, was always one of the things that Robert Kiyosaki talk, talks about is um, multiple streams of income, passive income. Mm -hmm. So I'd always have real estate investment. 
I have these bars and these businesses. I would be coaching. That would be my earned income. We call it the earned income. That's where you go trade your time for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your, your time for dollars. Yeah. Not for hours, time for yeah. dollars. Trade your and, time for time. Yeah. That sounds nice. Yeah. So, that's, so that was kind of it. And everything else was supposed to be passive. Never quite worked out like that. Um, but I still have, like I said, even today, I still have passive. JT King Investments, you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of everything from like private mortgages. We do creative financing now. That's my true passive income business. Okay. Um, we do for real estate. So, so I always knew I wanted to be a coach. Um, I was going to always stay being a coach, but I also knew being young that I didn't have the life experiences and owned enough businesses that I yeah. was going to gain the respect. Yeah. And people were going to, yeah, I read a couple of books. I went through, I got certified. I, I went through all Robert Kiyosaki stuff, but does that really make you a really good coach? Yeah. Well, even if it does, even if you have the skills to do it at that point, it's, it's still difficult to, like you mentioned, like the respect is just, I mean, I've said this same, you mentioned, you actually said exactly what I've said several times. Just like, sure, you might know, you might know what's going on, but as like a kid right out of school, it's really difficult to respect what you're telling somebody when, even if it's right, it doesn't feel like you've got the experience behind it because you probably haven't had the life experience behind it to be respected for it. Not that you're wrong at all. You may have fantastic uh, like opinions and yeah. uh, fantastic plans and whatnot, but it's just difficult to look at it and be like, hey, uh, how do you trust that? Or, like, how do you trust what, what you're being told? And like you said, like that's a tough thing to, to overcome without getting, you just got to get the experience um, or build up a big enough name that that, that overtakes the, um, you know, the, the doubt, I guess. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, today, back then they didn't have this, but today there's so many, you just Google coaching cert- certification programs. Like, I saw one the other day on my Facebook thing. It said, like, $27, get certified to be a coach. You know, so anybody's, everybody throws that name out there, and that throws that they're a coach out there now. You know, it's not like going to med school when you become mm-hmm. a doctor. You instantly gain that respect when you get your doctor, your yeah. MD, or... Yeah. You know, one of my business partners, um, Dr. Ryan Wakeham, we own another company called Riken Capital. We lend money out. And, you know, he's a psychiatrist and he, he gets respect. He's earned it now. He's a businessman, too. One of the most successful business people that I know. But he also, you know, he's he earned that degree, right? Yeah. So, and he gets respect from that. And then he, all your constant, you know, continuing education from there. And how, so if you were coaching that whole time, how were you able to... How were you able to overcome some of those initial, like, obviously at this point you've got a, over a de- like you've got a, a lot of time in the game. Um, but early on, how were you able, other than the persistency, like obviously that worked yeah. um, to at least get some of the jobs, but how, how were you able to overcome some of those challenges? Was it just a matter of, um, I mean, I, I would, I would imagine there's some piece of it that's like, you can you maybe have to give some, some away for free or uh, just some way to build build a little bit of confidence in the clients. But how like did you how did you do that? How were you able to overcome that? When I first started coaching, we would always have like a, a main speaker. I was never the main speaker. Okay. Uh, so I so I always had that kind of um, luxury. I had somebody there that was actually I was learning from. Yeah. The, probably the most influential person that was able to learn from was a guy named Jim Anderson. Okay. Um, he's from Utah. Unbelievable unbelievable real estate investor, unbelievable coach, unbelievable speaker. He's just a truly amazing guy that helped me to learn a lot. And so I, so I owe a lot of that um, 
he would do his thing from the front and every single place he was on stage, every word he said had a purpose. Okay, that's a great person to learn from then. And and I, yeah, learning from that was was Yeah. Well and and that's the face in that and I guess. So you're kind of you get to kind of take not the back seat, but you don't have to you don't have to um make the sale necessarily because you've got a face that does garner respect and now you can kind of build the experience underneath that so and we're coming under the rich dad flag or yeah and also too i did events for a guy named dean graziosi some people may know him tony robbins um kevin o'leary from shark tank so these are some of the people i've worked with throughout the time because i was always an independent contractor so i did a lot of different events but again my core was always the majority of everything i did was was through the rich dad education company okay um okay so um, that takes us, we'll get into some of the more recent things now. Um, we've got some time still. So power team advisors. So now you are back to, I'm guessing more full-time coaching, advising, um, consulting, all of those things. Um, what led to, what led to the development of that? Um, and then we'll get into the fortune. Um, okay. Yeah. So 2018, um, I, this is something, I, it sounds like I'm bragging, but this is not a bragging thing at all. This is actually the end of what made me realize. 2018, I spent 299 nights in a hotel. Okay. okay. I had the nice. highest status with, with Hilton and Marriott and my, my new wife, who was, Unbelievable. She's been there since my youngest was about a year old. So she's their mom. Uh-huh. Uh, my kids don't really, they don't really know their mom. They haven't spoken to them in over a couple of years now. And, um, but she's their mom. But she said to me, she goes, this is the ultimatum. She goes, I know that you're passionate. I know that you're coaching. I learned that you love it. I know you love to travel. Cause I would take the kids and stuff sometimes. Uh-huh. So they got experience a lot. My yeah. kids have been to all different That's countries. Cool. That's kind of cool. Cause I actually coached in, I've coached in 48 States and five different countries. That's cool. Including well, Australia. Last two. I know I need to. <laughs> I Maine and, um, it's Maine and, uh, Minnesota, I think. It's like, yes. Okay. You got to knock those off. I definitely you got to get them all. You got to get them all. I definitely do. And, um, so anyways, at that point, so she was like, Todd, what's your choice? What's your choice? That's fair. That's a What's that's your pretty choice? fair. That's like, a lot of nights away. Can you give up that much? Can I give up that much income? And and because I was still building other things, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I got to. So I started Power Team Advisors, and Power Team Advisors was kind of the same thing. I was I was doing um, I did a couple events called Mastering Entrepreneurship, um, where I was kind of I was the end up being the main speaker. We would do some events, and um, but also it was a way for me to I did a lot of start doing free events as well. Okay. That's when Youth Mastering Entrepreneurship first developed. I, I've done one at Ignite here, uh-huh. the second annual one, the first one I did in Ohio. It's a way for me to give back. And the Power Team Advisors is a way to connect people. I knew I had a lot of connections. Being connected with the people like the Robert Kiyosaki, the Tony Robbins, uh-huh. the Kevin O'Leary's, I have a lot of resources. And that was where I realized, okay, I need to, I can help advise people, coach people and get them connected. And that was the whole concept. And that's really what Power Team Advisors is. Okay. And then it also, and then it led to the point where we were using Power Team Advisors and we still do to buy small businesses that are struggling, you know, kind of more of the, um, the solopreneur, the person that's self-employed that works real hard. We help bring them in systems. 
you know, how, okay. how to bring in, how to streamline things. And so that's, we have several different businesses because of that business. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, hmm. So when you're going into it, who, who are you mostly working with with that? Is it the small, um, yeah, like what sizes of business are you working with? Mostly pretty small businesses with, okay. with Power Team Advisors. A lot of new brand new businesses. Okay. Um, but I, I was setting up events. We did one in San Jose. We did our very first launch event in, in 2000, January 2020, right before COVID. We did our first launch event in Columbus. Um, so I was planning on my plan was to do one every couple months, uh-huh. um, a live event, and then follow up with the coaching and stuff as well. Met some unbelievable people through that. I met a, a gentleman by the name of Eric James, who's today who's, who's one of my favorite people I've ever coached. He's just unbelievable. He, you know, he was a teacher and he ended up doing some great real estate deals and um, he's living his purpose in life. And that's really what everything goes back to his purpose. He's actually in the Philippines right now, giving back and oh. building houses in the Philippines for, for the poor and that's cool. people that, and feeding people like he's just because of real estate because of what he's been able to do um so power team advisors even though it's a young company it'll always have it i just don't focus as much on that now because of really what how i came into fortune okay well a couple last little points with um power team so when you're because a lot of that is who i work with or who i really that's those are the, the types of businesses that i um, most enjoy with working with, but what are some of the, um, what are some of the things that you see with the businesses that you are helping there that are, um, like commonalities between them, common challenges that seem to be, um, you know, like easier things to, to fix if you, if you know what, what you're looking for. Does that make sense? It does. I, I think probably the biggest thing is, is leadership. Okay. Um, I would say leadership is huh. one of the biggest things. There's a big difference between Bradley and you know this, but being a, a leader or being a boss. Yeah. Right. And I think you know, starting out as a small business, especially if you have any employees at all, is it's your business. You're passionate about it. You feel like it's everything. You've worked so hard to create this business that you kind of put away or not thinking about being a leader. So how? Obviously, this is going to be such a simplified, simple question for an answer that's going to be way more, way more complicated. But like, how are you, how do you improve that? Like, or, or what are the, what are the things that are commonly seen in that bad leaderships, like for people that aren't leading well? Um, Let's, let's actually look at that because making the corrections is probably a much much deeper conversation that we could do a whole sure. other one on. Absolutely, um, we could. But the like, what are some of the the things that you see frequently that are, um, yeah, that are indicators of that? You know, for example, um, I think some a boss is going to dictate. Um, you know, they're going to talk down or maybe just talk in a way that they don't even realize that they're talking to. Okay. Um, you know, a boss hears. They don't really. They're not transforming. Um, a boss speaks constantly, but they're not really being, they're not influencing. I think that would be one of the best things I could say. And, and when they I say speak, influence, but they're not influencing. Does that make sense? It does. Um, it does. But what do you, let me, let me, yeah, let me go yeah. a little more on this. Yeah. A really good leader will influence 
through thoughts, action, feelings, emotions for the greater good, not for themselves. Okay. Okay. So really that's kind of like the intentions are, that's what's off. I think it's off, but it, but a lot of small business owners don't realize they're doing yeah, yeah, it, and yeah, they're not yeah, doing yeah, yeah. it purposely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the biggest thing. What from at least in my experience, which kind of in a similar spot to where you were, however long ago. But it's like, you know, I don't have, I haven't been doing any of this for very long. Yeah. But, um, but it's the, it's not that anything that they're doing is wrong, or or even ill willed or ill intentioned or whatever. It's just like, hey, we're trying to make this thing work, like. I'm trying to run a coffee shop and that's the only thing I'm focused on. So taking the, those like higher level, um, and obviously this is like grossly exaggerated or grossly simplified, but, um, but it is that, you know, most of the time you are inside of the thing and you can't actually see the thing. So, um, you know, you tell somebody, Hey, I need you to do this. Well, there's probably a better way to go about that. And if you could see, or if, if you, are able to take the time to, to step back a little bit, then, um, you know, you might see that, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I could be handling these situations a little bit better. Uh, with the people that you're working with in there, is, are they coming to you for assistance? Um, or how are, how are those businesses being introduced to you? So now we're kind of blending a little bit of power team advisors. I'm also blending a little bit of fortune management where uh-huh. I coach doctors. Um, I coach a lot of doctors in, in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. Yeah. So now I kind of travel, but I travel regionally. But you said something. I, I got to talk a little bit more on this. You said sometimes if you step back, you can kind of look at this. That's really hard to do. Yeah. Stepping back from your own business when your head is in it, your focus is in it. Yeah. yeah. That's why you hire a coach. Yeah. A true coach does not advise you. A true coach, hmm. if you ever sit and listen to one of my coaching conversations, I'd be happy to let you. I probably, actual statements that I'm saying in an hour-long coaching session with one of my doctor clients, I would say I probably, throwing this out there, use less than 15, 20 sentences with a period. My coaching calls is asking them questions to redirect and have them think, what are they, how are they handling this? What are they doing? I have Um, a favorite question, it's, and what else? And then that's my big one. And what's stopping you? Tell me you want to do something. Well, what's stopping you? That's interesting. So that is a, I've always had, not always. Um, actually, this came up in a, a couple episodes ago. I don't know which one this is, but with Jeff, um, where the idea, like you've mentioned several times, the term coaching at this point is such a, like, it means not, it's like consulting, it's like marketing. Like, these terms don't mean anything anymore because everybody does these things. So my view of coaches generally has been that, like, you're paying somebody to come and potentially give you advice that is, un, like, not seeked or um, from a weird place. But that's not what you're, like, that is so different than what, you're just, you're providing an alternative perspective and helping people think. Absolutely. That's it. Like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Okay. So one of the original founders of fortune management is, is Tony Robbins. A lot of people, anybody in business, a lot of people have heard of Tony Robbins and 
you know, so Tony Robbins is he's been the coach for so many famous people. He was a coach for Bill Clinton. He was a coach for um, Serena Williams when she was um, her sister died from a or got murdered and she couldn't get back on the court. She needed a coach to come in. You know, he's been a coach for so many different people, and and that's truly what he what we were founded on a fortune. I was I would say I was a coach with Rich Dad, but I was more of a consultant type coach. Okay, so could you break down the difference between those two, actually? Absolutely. A, and I'm going to tell you that. And actually add an advisor if you can. Because I feel like those are three separate things that maybe get lumped together. I don't know if I've ever thought about the three, but definitely like the coaching versus consulting, especially since you seem to have done both. Absolutely. So the consulting is somebody that will come in for a short amount of time. They will tell you what they think is going to happen. They'll give you a plan on how to execute that. And they're typically out of your life. Okay. That's what I view a consultant as. Okay. So somebody that comes in. Come in, find problems, find a problem. solution. See you. See you. Call me next time. Yep. As a coach, especially as a coach for what I'm doing right now, it's somebody that sticks with you, that holds you accountable that is going to make sure that you're executing. They're not executing for you. They're helping you come to the solutions. Okay. Uh, to be a good coach, you cannot be ego-driven where you have to be there to get the reward. A really good coach helps their client find the solution, and it's the client's idea. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm asking the questions. I may have my idea of how to handle it, but I'm not just going to say, hey, just do this, do this. Do you think if they're really going to – as a client – do you think somebody's really going to listen, hey, Todd told me to do this, 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 or if you came up with the idea, how much more are you willing going to execute that if you came up with that idea, Bradley? Do you, do you run into many issues with people looking for one thing? So looking for consulting when they're asking for coaching or looking for coaching when they're asking for consulting? Because like, I would imagine, because I mean, any of us, like there are times when you're we'll just use like a uh like there are times when you come come to the table with hey i just want to be heard and ask questions like i want i need an alternative perspective and there are also times when it's like i need advice yeah do you run into any any issues or challenges with that like people coming to you for the wrong thing or do you kind of flip the switch and sometimes if they're looking for advice you give advice and if they're looking for coaching you do that like how do you handle that that's great like a, a tough thing to bounce back and forth between. Absolutely great question. Um, as a fortune management coach, we wear three different hats. We wear the executive coaching hat where we coach the doctors and everything from life coaching to um, personal issues, the growing of growing their business, growing other businesses, buying real estate, doing their portfolio. The second hat we wear is what we call a key business advisor. That's what we're helping them transition by um, merger and acquisition of other practices. We help them get their practice ready to sell if they're in that position. And a third hat we wear is what we call a practice management advisor. That would be kind of your consultant advisor. We'll come in, okay. we'll show them systems like, hey, you need to get. For example, I work with a lot of dentists. They need they have a bunch of patients that, for example, haven't been in for hygiene. So how are we going to get those patients back in? Let's teach the team how to talk on the phone properly. Is that a... Are those three separate... And obviously, we're being specific here, but I think it's... Um, I think it's applicable outside of this. Are those three different services, or is that a... These are things that I provide to you as this... Hired us like does that make sense? Like, 
I do all three of these things and it just depends on the situation or Absolutely. I'm coming to you for this specifically. I'm paying you to be a advisor or a, um, I don't remember what the other two were, but is it, I wear all these hats and it just depends on what situation we're looking at to which one I put on or I'm asking this person, uh, I'm the client coming to you for a specific thing. I'll, I'll, you'll hear me say a lot of times, you know, I'm going to put my practice management advising hat on. Okay. Okay. So like, it's because then I'll give them that. Yeah. Um, but again, I still, if it, it's a decision or if it's something that's going to stay with them, accountability, I, I, I'm a coach first. Yeah. And then, so yes, we do some of those other things and that's okay. how we are successful. You can't just ask questions and help them, you know, sometimes you got to help them guide them in yeah. the right questions and yeah. you still have to have systems in place too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So when you're, so we, we've kind of touched on the, um, on the next side the fortune we actually definitely touched on the fortune um fortune management but um so you're working with doctors dentists um to to do all the things that you just talked about um what are some of the well how did you get into that how let's let's get there first and then we'll work into that how did that opportunity come about so right when i was Decided I wasn't going to be traveling anymore. No 300 more nights a year in the hotel. I was just looking for coaching opportunities, just seeing what was out there, uh-huh. executive coaching. And I saw a company had an ad. It's an executive coach for medical companies, and it was in California. I just shot them an email, and they said, hey, you got to get connected with this gentleman named Curtis Crandall. And they, and he actually owns four um, dental offices, but also owns the, owns the Fortune Management Pittsburgh company. Okay. And so with Curtis... I went in, I interviewed with him, and he's like, yeah, you got to do this. So that's when we started building Fortune Management. So really, it was on LinkedIn. Um, I found the company for a California ad. They put me into, well, you don't want to come to California, but they put me in contact with somebody local. And then that's when we started buying more territories and started expanding and and really started growing the Fortune Management Pittsburgh, um, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia divisions. Okay. Um, and that was 2020. Okay, so I'm going to skip around a little bit here because there were a couple things that came up while I was doing a little bit of research that sure. I wanted to touch on. Um, so I kept seeing this numbers and fact-based thing in all the websites, all, all of the all of the things. Um, so I think what is something that would be very important to know um, is this this idea that kept coming up again in, in all everything. So I kept seeing the numbers in fact-based and then also this measuring thing, which I think you, I don't know if you ended up getting to do this speaker series on that or not, but yeah, we'll um, in the fall. So I think that is something that is very, very difficult for small business owners, at least from what I've seen. Um, this knowing what to measure or how to measure or um, why to measure, like, and how are you even coming up with those things? Uh, let's start there. But I also, the numbers and fact-based thing, I also have a, a couple questions with that because it's, there's, it's easy to, to me, it feels easy to look at numbers and just say like, oh, well, um, you know, we got to leave emotion out of this. Sure. But also that's not, we're humans. Absolutely. So um, start with either side of that, whatever, okay. whatever route you want to go down. But those are two things. We've got approximately 15 minutes before you got to get out of here. So, all right. Um, 
So, and if we need to, to hold one of them, we can. Okay. Well, yeah, we can talk for days about this, yeah. but, but really the first starting with a business, you need to know your burn rate or your break even point with any business. And, and that's where you got to start. And there's a term called KPIs. Um, it's key performance indicators. Yeah. And I use this to coach with as well. Every number, whether it is a profit and expense or it's a hygiene effectiveness rate for anybody that's listening, that's one of my, in the, in the medical field, the doctor field, there's a leading and a lagging reason. Um, your numbers will, your, um, your lagging reasons are stuff that happened in the past. That's your profit for the last quarter. But there's also things that are happening, how many new patients you're getting this month, or in, in medical terminology, how much treatment we're diagnosing this month is going to shape up, give us a leading example of what's, what we can expect in the future. So let me try to dumb this down a little bit further or ask questions to sure. hopefully get you to dumb it down. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, how are businesses that are not so i've started i've started something and i know the like i know my numbers i know that i i know what my my profit's going to be or, or my um but like marketing dollars for yeah example. like i know what some of those things are but how am i deciding what to measure like how do i pick what what my kpi should be because a dentist may be different than a coffee shop or a bakery or a whatever, a bar, like how are you, how can they determine what is actually important to them? Like what should they be looking at? Obviously it's going to be very specific to rep to, to the business, but there's got to be some, I would imagine, and maybe there aren't, maybe I'm grasping here, but I would assume there's some general rule for how am I coming up with what I need to measure? So I'm going to really say something that if anybody takes one thing from this podcast, this is it. Anything that is measured or monitored improves. Okay. So if you have something in your business that needs to improve, if you're measuring and monitoring and you're focusing on that, it's going to improve. So when we took a look at, I just don't go and take on a client in the medical field. I run an analysis. I do what's called a practice analysis. I do the same thing, an opportunity assessment I do with any business that I'm looking to buy through Power Team Advisors. We see the numbers and we see where's the opportunity going to be and where's what needs to be improved. So if there's something that you're doing super great, yeah, you want to keep monitoring that. But, but like, for example, production or your total revenue, then you got to take off your adjustments or your write-offs, mm -hmm. and then and that gives you your net production. So when you're starting out... What, something for KPIs, what yeah. I would do is, how many cold calls are you doing? How many marketing reach-outs are you doing? Okay. If you kept that as a KPI, let's say that you are, you're selling something, you will see in correlation, you would see, hey, if I make 20 calls, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get a, a deal. Yeah. Or a lot of people, they don't think about that. They just make the calls. They're not actually measuring it. They're not monitoring that. And then they give up. <laughs> you will see trends. And then, hey, if you got more training, you learn how to talk better. You learn how you know your product better. You know your business better. You have more experience. You're going to see that number get better and better and better. And are there... There definitely are tools, but... Uh, I mean, I guess when you're starting, it's probably just as easy as 
make a simple spreadsheet or it doesn't even have to be a spreadsheet like make a note if you're tracking something like that just like oh i make i make calls i'm a i sell insurance or whatever i make calls i'm just gonna mark off how many calls how many deals today like just mark some yeah. tallies it can be that simple um it doesn't even yeah i guess it, it can be it can actually be that simple um, I use Google Sheets for everything. So yeah, I do too. I mean, it's just I, I have my formulas in there, and, and you can see it's so important to see. You will see that if you're making it in business, if you're in sales, for example, because I know a lot of people on this call or this podcast are salespeople. If you will see that your number, the, the months that you made more calls, I bet you your income. If you look in the correlation, if you had them in the same yeah. sheet, I bet you you will see your income. Yeah. What happens when you see that? Yeah, and I I bet if you it's just like kind of trying to track as much as possible, really. It's like track as much as possible. And because the more data you have, now obviously you have to figure out how you're going to do the analytics on that. But the more data you've got from the beginning, the better decisions you can make because they don't have to be as emotional, uh, emotional or um, just without data behind them. Um, okay, so that's that's good. So your suggestion is... If it's measured, it'll, it'll improve. If it's measured, it'll improve. Um, so if you... And if it's not, then then you need to change your approach. Yeah. Uh, I want to share one thing. One thing that's cha- probably changed my life more than anything, and I heard this from Tony Robbins way before I started working for Fortune. There's something called the ultimate success formula. And this is for anything that you want in life. And I have to share this because it's been so impactful for my life. When I want to do something, I use this. So the ultimate success formula, I'll go slow so people can, I want people to write this down. This is something, this is a great takeaway from this, is the first step to it is you got to know your outcome. If you want to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish in your business or in life, you have to know what that outcome is first. You can't expect to get somewhere without knowing that outcome. So if you want to have 30 clients, you need to know you have 30 clients. You want to run a four-mile um, four minute mile, you have to know which that outcome is that you want to run, that you want to do. Okay. And, that, and the second step is you have to have a why. You have to have a reason to do it. You ever read the books? You ever heard of Simon Sinek? I have, yeah. Simon Sinek is awesome. And, and his books are good, but if you ever have a chance to listen to any of his TED Talks or his YouTube videos, he's a much better presenter than even the books are. Okay. But he talks about your purpose. You have to have a why. If you don't have a why, you want that outcome, oh, I want to be a millionaire. Why do you want to be a millionaire? What are you going to do with that? What's the greater good behind that? So you have to have a why. So step number one is know your outcome. Step number two is know your why. What's the reason that you want to accomplish this? You want to provide for your kids. You want to provide for the university. And the third step is, and this is where a lot of people start and they fall off, you got to take massive action. You have to take massive action. It's not just saying, oh, I'm going to go make two, two cold calls today, or I'm going to reach out to two, send two emails. They're really going to get you where you want to get. So take massive actions, number three. Hmm. Okay, that all makes sense. Um, yeah. And then the next thing is, and this is where my KPIs come in, Bradley's number four, is you've got to monitor your results. You can take massive action, but if you're not monitoring it, you may be taking massive action the wrong way. You may run your business in the hole. You may be spending all your money in marketing, all even more important than the money, all your time on something that's not working. Yeah. So if you're not monitoring that, your time, you know, then or your money or whatever it is, monitor all that. And if you're monitoring it, you know it's not working. 
And the last step is, if you're monitoring it and it's not working, change your approach. Hmm. So okay. step number five is change your approach. It's called the ultimate success formula, and it has been a life changer for me. Okay, so let's actually, let's spend a couple minutes. We've got seven minutes. Okay. I'm going to use as few of them as possible for you. But what did that look like when that was introduced to you? What did that look like? What did you implementing those steps actually look like? So always coming up with my purpose. You know, what's my, what's a, what do I want to have a vision? For example, I, I would, you have to have a vision. You know, a lot of people confuse well, so let's, if, if you don't mind, let's be specific, let's try to actually be specific and go through, like, where were you at when you discovered that? And, and what did those, what did each of those steps look like for you to actually put it into like, okay, you know, I want to do X. I want to do X amount of sales this year. Like if you, as be as specific as possible, but I think that might be helpful to just kind of, because like take massive action. It's like, okay, well, I don't know, maybe to me, 10, 10 calls today is pretty massive. And it's, it like, is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wh- what did that look like for you? Yeah. So I have the best of your. I'm going to give you like just something like in real estate. When I first heard this, okay. I was actually doing real estate. I knew I wanted to be a real estate investor. I knew I wanted to have enough passive income on my real estate. It's my outcome. I knew I would have enough passive income on my real estate. That I would have that income to live off of, and I could still do whatever I wanted to do. Okay. Everything else would be earned income. So I knew the outcome. Um, then I tried to fit and I went and I figured out, okay, for me to truly, for this truly to be a passive business, you have to know your expenses and this passive income has to outweigh your expenses. So if you, if your total expenses are $5,000 for you to truly be financially free or for you to live off your mm-hmm. passive income, you have to have $5,001. Yeah. You're not going to have much extra money, but that get, that's, that was my outcome. Okay. That's what I wanted. My why is so I could spend more time with the kids. Um, so I didn't have to rely on on a job, didn't have to rely on somebody else. I could always control. I've actually, to this day, uh, I, when I was in high school, I worked um, at a grocery store. But I've never actually worked a job. I've never actually worked for somebody. I, I just, for some reason, I never, I, when I bartend and stuff, I had managers and things. But yeah. like, so I, so, yeah, that was kind of my why. I wanted to be independent. I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it okay. and how I wanted to do it. And, and I've had a lot of failures over the years. So, but take massive action is is like I was saying. Hey, that's going into the Rich Dad organization, the Whitney organization in two thousand and five or what two thousand six, and go, not leaving, taking flowers, doing whatever it took to get that job. That's going to Owen Schmidt's house, townhome in Oakland when he's playing for the Raiders on an off week, and not letting him say no. Yeah. That's emailing him every day. That's following up with every single lead you have. That's making offers on houses and getting told no. Yeah. That is that is taking massive action. Okay. It's asking to speak in front of organizations. It's asked it's asking doctors for their business. It's asking people for their business. You have to ask. Yeah. So those things that make you uncomfortable. If probably this might maybe I'm wrong here. No. If it's not making you uncomfortable, it's probably not massive. That's I would hundred percent agree. That's great, Bradley. Okay. Um, okay, so Just that's like, a good starting point. I'm gonna say too, like and and I'm going to we work we share a space at the Ignite building and mm-hmm. and one thing too is is you yeah and I'm gonna compliment you. You take massive action. I mean I always see you one of the first people in there. Right, you're you're Sunday. You're in there. Yeah. You're taking massive action with all your business. So you were doing this. You may not have known this formula, but you were doing this. Yeah, I see you doing it, 
and that's why you're where you're at you know and yeah. how many other people are are coming in on sunday and spending their sundays to work on their business or how many other people are being there at 6 7 a.m being the first person in there yeah okay um well, is that gonna make it doing something right <laughs> um uh, okay, so then, so what were the the other couple steps? We got the last step is um, is number four is monitor the results. Okay, you know, hey, if you're not getting, you know, somebody to say yes. So what when when in this example, what were you starting to? How, what were you monitoring? Like, what were you doing? to 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 go through this so for example even in the real estate um business example i kind of started this with when i kind of took it to all my businesses you know we would say we would make offers we'd make offers for sale by owners was that working how are we making offers were we calling are we making creative financing okay. offers okay were we making you know all cash offers and trying to get the money were we you know how are we making those offers um were we using brokers and different things like yeah. that okay just making like Paying attention to everything that you're doing, and then last step is making adjustments. Is making adjustments. If okay. it's not working, let's make the adjustments to make it work. Okay, but it's difficult to make adjustments if you're not tracking. How can you <laughs> get yeah. you're doing a, you're yeah. an emotion? You're just randomly, yeah. You're doing an emotion. You yeah. think that without actually knowing that that's working. And yeah. You're and honestly, that's probably not a good thing because yeah. you're making yeah. decisions that you just think's the best decisions as entrepreneurs, and you know we think that a lot of times, but but I've yeah. seen people and it hurts some people. Okay, well, we'll leave it at there for now because you got to get out of here. Um, this was good. This was, I think, this was uh, this will be helpful for sure. Um, still, a couple things that that we didn't get to that I'm sure both of us wanted to talk about, but um, can't cover it all in an hour and ten minutes. So, um, okay, anything else? Anything? Uh, anything that we missed that you'd like to touch on real quick or? No, I just want ever to let everybody that's out there that's creating a business or thinking about starting a business get your visions set up. You have to have a vision. You know, even in the Bible it says those without a vision will perish. I don't know the exact scripture or whatever, but you can find that. And, <laughs> you know, the biggest visionary was was Walt Disney. You know, you have to create your vision, whether that's you know knowing your outcome, create your vision, business plan it out, actually figure out what you're doing. And then you're, you'll you'll be much more successful. Okay, that's uh, good parting words. Uh, where can uh, where can everybody find you? I think probably the best way is powerteamadvisors.com. Okay. Um, Todd at powerteamadvisors.com would be my email. Okay, um, I'll include that down below. I'll include any other links uh, down below. But uh, yeah, this was this was good. Um, so I'm sure I will be requesting there's still to, to cover some of these other things and we'll, we'll get together at some other point. But um, yeah, this was a good episode. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it was great having you. Um, yeah, this was a good conversation. I think it'll, I think this will definitely be helpful for some people. So um, till next time, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Um, whatever you're doing, uh, be sure to share like, subscribe, do all those things. Those are super helpful. Leave a review, super helpful. And until next time, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're consuming this. I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners.